Welcome to Artistic Beginnings. I'm Mitch. And I'm Melody. This is a podcast where we speak with a variety of creatives to learn about their artistic beginnings. We just wanted to say that this episode was recorded before COVID-19 really took hold, and we're hoping that you're staying healthy and staying indoors. This week, we get a chance to learn a little bit about how to get started in publishing. Our guest, Sebastian Shug, helps us demystify the concepts behind what it is to publish. When it comes to publishing, I know there's a few things that I can say without a doubt I understand, but Sebastian was able to really help me get a better grasp on what it was and got me excited to learn a bit more. As we spoke, it was interesting to hear how Sebastian got his start and his path to get to be a publisher in the first place. Let's jump into it. So if you want to start off just giving a little background on who you are and kind of how you got started in the arts. Uh, Sure thing. So, well, first and foremost, my name is Sebastian Shug, author, illustrator, narrator, publisher, just sort of all of it (laughs) in a sense. And Mm -hmm. the, the start was actually pretty interesting. I'll I'll never forget it. Drawing in my Algebra 2 class, just, you know, doodling away. And my teacher, it's the classic setting of like being in a computer lab and you're like playing games or whatever. And you get the hand on the shoulder. Why don't you go ahead and log off for me for a moment there? And I'm just like, (laughs) you know, I'm going to get detention or whatever. And she, my teacher just looks at it and she's like, you know, it's really good. I have someone who who might who might need an illustrator. And you know, I I'd never even known how to fill up a sketchbook, let alone illustration, you know, bookmaking, but essentially met up with my well, my first work, my first job, the man who would supply me with that. Uh one book would then turn into five, five then turned into 30. <laughs> children's books that's pretty much where i got my start now in the interim it's definitely been a marathon and a half with just varying different genres uh different styles of writing different clients that's the abridged version that's the condensed version so to speak (laughs) but there's definitely you know definitely ups and lows a lot of lessons i've learned in writing and illustration more importantly publishing which is what i do now it's been a long, tough, and invigorating five years, and I hope to I hope to continue it. One part of your story that you mentioned was the finding clients and and working with them. Mm-hmm. How did you even get into doing that rather than just kind of writing and doing the work for yourself? It wasn't so much that I went out looking for clients. It's more of a combination of the two now, but at in the beginning, I was, you know, I was kind of self-conscious about kind of my talents and like, oh, who would hire me to draw or to write for them? You would not believe how fast word of mouth kind of travels. You know, I kind of underestimated mm-hmm. it in the beginning. When other people heard that I had done this work for, say, doing children's books, and then when I went into writing, and then when I went into publishing... Those were three facets that can all be done either independently or interdependently. So someone could approach me with a complete manuscript and say, hey, I just need this published versus someone who would actually need illustrations and say, hey, I need illustrations and publishing or heck, even ghostwriting. Right. So I suppose clients would come to me when they needed something specifically And then when they found out that I could do something more for them, which, you know, publishing, getting it out there, that's when they were like, oh, that seems really great. You know, I'll definitely spread the word. And it kind of just snowballed from there. I'm not going to say that there's not as much effort going into looking for clients 
now as there was. But I will say, you know, more people definitely do come to me more so and inquire further. Word of mouth is big. <laughs> oh, no, it's huge. And, you know, especially with, you know, the advent of putting stuff online, you know, I sound really dated when I say that uh, <laughs> at the ripe age of 22. There's such an abundance of, you know, books, especially. Mm. So when someone finds a particular genre that they happen to like, it's just a matter of finding the book, finding the author who made it, and just going from there. And I always try to keep my submission requests open by putting my email, putting my phone number out there. I try to be very transparent when it comes to the whole process. So I think that's definitely a plus. Yeah, I think that's important to just be available and easy to find, too. I feel like people get discouraged when they have to click more than one thing Yeah, <laughs> to find information because it's so easily available now that it's the impatience of like, oh, I actually have to look for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just try to keep it as simple as, hey, send me an email, send me a message, we'll work something out and we just we'd go from there. Sometimes people like kind of don't see the correlation between writing and illustrating and then taking taking that next step to, you know, publish. But right. publishing a book is essentially the same as producing any kind of digital and traditional media. Mm -hmm. So let's say when someone's creating a YouTube video, for example, they're putting that project out there on a platform that hosts it, right? So right. What, what I like to do that kind of separates myself from the traditional, well, I would say traditional self-publishing and boutique publishing, and I'll go into the difference of that. Traditional self-publishing is when you write, illustrate, and publish a book, and then you sell the copies yourself at a fixed price. Now, that could either go one of two ways. Either it's very successful, or you end up with just a crap load of inventory that you can't sell. <laughs> now, boutique publishing is when you take out a second mortgage and essentially let a company publish your book for you while they take the lion's share of the royalties. I don't think that sounds very fair, and I've worked with them in the past. And I'm not going to name drop anyone here, but it's a very cold hearted business approach. And I always told myself that I was if I was ever going to establish something like this, I was never going to be that guy asking for X amount of dollars up front. A person's already spent so much time and effort making the project, they shouldn't have to have that hassle just to get it in stores. Right. So what I like to do is utilize certain distributors like distribution channels. You know, you typically think of these as like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, iBooks, Google Books, anywhere that you can potentially buy a book and funnel it through their services. Now, I do this in a variety of ways where I target first, second, and third-party sources where essentially the name of the game is to get as many out there as possible so that you have, well, if you look at this in terms of money, the most amount of income, like passive income. Mm -hmm. Though, you know, regarding exposure, that's probably the best way to do it. I do it in that way, and I also don't charge any upfront costs because the way I look at it, royal percentage is really what matters to the average author who wants to publish at the end of the day. If they are doing it for exposure, great. But there definitely is an underlying purpose when it comes to publishing a book. People publish for different reasons, but the outlets for publishing is all in all similar to how you would publish any kind of media. I hope that makes sense, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a different product. It's a different outlet. And like any product that can be bought online or in stores, it's just a matter of feeding it through that, that channel and uh, 
spitting it out the other end. <laughs> That's super interesting. So taking a step back on this, can you take us back to the time when you first tried publishing something? Was it your project? Can you kind of tell us your experience learning how to do this? Yeah, no, no, of course. So it wasn't my project. I didn't get into this with my own work, my own idea. So I it began when I was 14, uh, sophomore in high school, the time when I was approached by my teacher. It went from there with my author at the time. He opted for more boutique publishing where he had the money to afford to send it to a company that would publish it for him. And before we learned kind of the detriments of doing that, he took the helm in regards to you know quality control distribution channels back then i would say it's a safe assumption that neither of us kind of knew what we were doing in regards to where to send it to have the most <laughs> exposure fair no I mean, no yeah how would you exactly <laughs> and, and in a process that took i want to say 5 years where book 1 to book 30 took a 5 year process where there were several books in between my own writing contracted work etc that's where I learned the ins and outs of basically doing it yourself and sending it off to mm. distributors. So I opted to kind of flip the whole business on its side, working with him and I and saying, hey, I found a way that would get us more exposure, potentially more sales if you care about it, because, you know, he is retired and he still was five years ago. Let's do it this way. And he was kind of skeptical at first. And then he said, OK, and soon enough. I think what he was looking for more so was exposure. And when I showed him that, hey, you type in the name in Google, it pops up. That's what he was most happy with. You know how like when you search up a, someone's name or a product, it has that little Google title card, you know, with all the information on it. That's where it was showing up. I, I think because it was online for so long. I mean, keep in mind, this was published back in 2015, possibly even earlier. It had enough time to sort of fester on Google. And this was before I found Google Books as a distributor, which essentially you publish through there. Uh, in about two weeks, it, it showcases on Google's front page when you search its name. So it had enough time to sort of fester online and sort of gain traction with searches. And you type the name into Google and now now there it is, along with the other books in the series. As you've been working through this kind of process, how, how much of the progression through starting out and getting a little bit better at publishing, how much is attributed to just kind of trial and error? And how much is you reading up or like finding a new strategy and trying it out and that kind of stuff? <laughs> a bunch, uh, let's just say, you know, there there is a bunch of trial and error. And really, at least in my experience, it all deals with genre. When I focus on a genre, and keep in mind, my start was in children's books, and I've since moved beyond that, I still have a soft spot for that. And of course, I'd publish it if a manuscript came my way. But I focus primarily in fiction, and even further in satire. I like to tell jokes, <laughs> basically. So that tracks. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. <laughs> the trial and error portion has to deal each and every time with someone new that's come my way, a new book, a new genre. And, you know, nine times out of 10, it's been boiled down to, hey, I'd like this book published a certain way. I'd like this book mm -hmm. either published mm -hmm. one way, two ways, three ways, or, you know, any number of ways that could happen. And we're talking like, ebook, you'd read it on your phone. Traditional, you'd flip the pages. 
audiobook, right. self-explanatory, you listen to it. Sometimes certain material is not welcome on certain platforms. Uh, sometimes it could be too adult. Sometimes it could be, you know, just not suitable. It could not have like language barriers. Like if it's not a certain language, they won't accept it. And at the end of the day, it sounds very rash when I say this, but it's almost as if you just have to submit it and hope for the best. And it's my hope that because there are so many channels, at least a good handful of them will stick and that they'll be prominent enough that when you do search it, it'll come up. Uh, th that's not all. Uh, sometimes certain genres uprise certain legality issues. And I'm not talking like I'm going to jail. <laughs> I'm talking like, <laughs> oh, hey, you know, I just wanted to, you know, send you a friendly reminder from Amazon or, or whatnot. You can't use this cover. You can't use this title, even though, you know, it might be in the public, it might be in the public domain. Copyright infringement is a big one. And sometimes it's not even the fault of myself just putting it. Sometimes it's just a little bit of lack of research on the author's part. Uh, I've had an instance where a cover being utilized was unfortunately copyrighted material because it was a picture that somebody else took. Now, nothing legal came out of it. No one had any jail time or fines. It was just a, it was a miscommunication on all three parties' parts. It was corrected and we just kind of went from there. And certain things you just have to be careful about because with any product being sold, you got to make sure that the product is your product or, you know, you're kind of up a creek there. Yeah, that's very fair. Yeah. <laughs> How does audiobooks fit into the publishing process? Audiobooks was definitely a second thought initially going into it. You know, I knew what they were. I listened to a few of them. Audiobooks and podcasts go hand in hand in a lot of ways. Whereas the confidence, the content, and overall the structure of one's voice is the story. Anyone with some practice can pick up a book and read it to a bunch of people. I'm not saying that I have the best voice. I'm not saying that I have the worst voice, though I will say that there is a lot of practice that goes into personifying yourself as either the person in the book or the person who, in a nutshell, is going to be like reading to you, like by the fire kind of thing. And that's that's kind of the motif that I want to go with, where it's like a calm demeanor, you know, a lot of positive ASMR, you know, not like whisper quiet. But, you know, like something that the that the uh, listener can like follow along with. When it comes to audiobooks, I look at that as just kind of like another second channel where it's another outlet to discover what I've made or what other people have made. I, I haven't just narrated my own books. I've narrated other people's books as well. It's another outlet for people who want to publish. Should they want it? Not everyone does. I think people make it out to be a, a lot more complicated than it is, but it's actually quite enjoyable. I like it a lot. That's really interesting. I didn't... So if I'm understanding right, you're also doing all the audio and everything for building that out. That's right. Wow. Look at you. So many hats. I don't know which ones to put on some days, but other days I'm just, I'm full <laughs> throttle, just putting it on and, yeah. you know, just kind of seeing where it goes. Something that I want to jump into a little bit is you started this when you were still in high school. So having to not only juggle school, <laughs> you also were working pretty much full time. What was that like? How did you handle that? What were some issues? I will say this. College isn't for everyone. 
with almost graduating college, I now know that college isn't for everyone because there's such a discrepancy between what one studies and what one actually does in the world. And sometimes that major just does not line up. And I'm learning that the hard way where a lot of the skills that I've learned in school are just add-ons. Right. And I'm not one to, you know, knock one's college education because obviously I feel in, in many circumstances it is needed. With publishing, I feel as though that if I would have done this exclusively, I could have done without it. Juggling it all at once is something that I definitely wouldn't have traded for the world. I, I am very glad that I have had this experience thus far, and I hope to keep doing it. There is a point in my life where I, I do plan on stopping, where this is, this is something, publishing, that I want to keep doing. Whereas I kind of feel it's time to move on from school and let me flap my wings a little bit. You just kind of roll with the punches and, and, and go from there. It's tough. It's rewarding, uh, but it's tough. The the jealousy I feel was there whenever I would, you know, let's say, look at someone who maybe wasn't in college or just got out of me. college and never even... <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Call me out. Call me out. <laughs> but you know what? what? What you did, even at a young age, fifth grade, hell, I'll even take it back there. It was super practical, right? I wouldn't say, you know, I was jealous in your case. Um, definitely going to a university, that's where it kind of spurred, where mm. I'd be like, you know, why are you in school? You have all these hats that you're wearing, and you're wasting it getting a degree? Like, it sounds really mm. temperamental when I say it now, but it's mainly <laughs> just like a conversation, you know, back and forth. And they'd be like, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of doing it just to do it. I will say that had it not been for college, I probably wouldn't have found the love for public speaking as much as I do, and more so found the confidence to do so. You probably remember, I used to be incredibly shy. You know, if, if I don't learn how to talk to a person, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, if I don't know how to speak into a microphone, which I've been doing for years, how am I going to learn how to apply this to what I want to do? One thing I, I don't think that I really captured the essence of is what kind of drew you to publishing in the first place? What I can really say is that in my time spent doodling in a sketchbook or writing in some notebook, I feel as if publishing was just sort of naturally the next step that I needed to take. And a lot of what keeps people from publishing is that confidence to do so and sort of that self-reassurance that it's out there. Now, I feel a lot of people don't do it because maybe a book won't sell or their ideas might not be good enough. But my start in publishing, I feel really was that I suspended all that, that in the beginning and even still to now, my writing, my artwork, it's not about if people like it or not. It's about whether I like it or not. It really does come from within one's own self-assurance that I like it. I like doing it. I'm going to continue to do it. You just have to kind of stay true to what, what you want to do, what you feel as if you need to do, and just go from there. So we're going to jump into our closing questions. To start us off, what is the hardest thing about pursuing the arts? Definitely the drive to do so sometimes. Uh, there's a lot of times when you're just not feeling it, you know, you're feeling really unmotivated and sort of just is this worth doing? The drive, however, at the end of the day is knowing that you can get past those emotions, get past those instances, and essentially just continue on to do what you love doing is really the best way I can put it. So Sebastian, what, what keeps you up at night? 
what keeps me up at night is knowing that there is still much left to do. And you could take that really any way you'd like. I mm. sort of like to be intentionally vague when it comes to this sort of, you know, like what gets you out of bed in the morning question. There's a lot of things you know, to quote Hamilton. There's a million things I haven't done. Uh, just you wait. <laughs> But yeah, no, th there are a lot of things in life that I wake up knowing that I either will do it, I'm doing it now, or I have done it and I want to do more. I definitely don't want to stop in maybe 100 plus years time. If I'm still alive, I probably still won't want to stop. You know, it, it's it's something that I feel like, like we talked about earlier, that it has to come at an age where you just know it's what you mm -hmm. want to do. I, I've done a lot. Again, not to not to sound braggadocious, but you know, I've done a lot and I want to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I, I don't want to stop, whether that be through independent means or through uh, contractual means of bringing other people's aboard. I definitely do not want to stop anytime soon. Who have you learned the most from? There's been a select few authors, some living, some dead, but a lot of what I've learned in what other people have wrote, what other people have taught me is that nobody 100% of the time is going to like what you do. And a lot of the time, when someone makes something for the first time, they often feel that they either sound too preachy or they've been told that they sound too preachy. And really, it's just spearheading yourself or diving headfirst into something that you know that you're going to love. You know, you take everyone's opinions with a grain of salt, but you just you you do it to do it i feel like i'm a i'm a broken record in stating that but a lot of <laughs> a lot of it does kind of relay back to one's own ambition to do so you know i i mm -hmm. neither one of us out of the three of us sitting here wouldn't be here talking about this if we weren't passionate about what we love to do very true <laughs> it just kind of goes from there kind of on the same topic train i don't know why i just said topic train but i said it and here we are <laughs> choo -choo. <laughs> oh we're just with modes of transportation we have boats we have trains it's amazing what resource have you learned the most from definitely people who are immediate to me friends family peers i often get a lot of my source material from just everyday experiences and craft them into stories where it's relatable to a point. But at the same time, I kind of like to inject a little bit of that personalism where only I would know what I'm talking about kind of thing. Mm. And it's not to sound like elitist by any means. You know, I, I like to capture a wide variety of topics that people would legitimately sit down and enjoy, I feel. But at the end of the day, I know that everything I do have is is a personal spin on it. The resources that have most impacted me put into stories is, of course, the way I would perceive them to be. So definitely those immediate to me. In terms of, let me let me restart this one. This I'm just going to simplify this question a bit. <laughs> every, every week I look at this question, I'm like, oh, I don't really have a great way of, of asking it. Of wording it, If you want to put it as bluntly as possible, please go ahead. <laughs> Quotes, do you have them? <laughs> no. Uh, no, let, let me let me retry that. That oh, was do that you was... have them? Oh my 
my god. If you're asking so, if I have like any come like on, sort Sebastian, of... give us a quote. All right. All right. Yeah, you, you you do have to you do have to fish for the fish are biting. That's sort of something that I've learned in sales and anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to putting your best foot forward in regards to let's say meeting a client or approaching them or them approaching you, uh, the first one to negotiate you know, I, I put a spin on this. So the, the original quote is the first one to speak in a negotiation loses. But what I think is that the first one to negotiate, you actually see that they're actually passionate about it. So mm-hmm. if they want to book their way and they're unchanging, and I'm not one to, you know, step on eggshells when it comes to someone's project. But if I can get someone that is passionate and verbally or non-verbally tells me that they are, immediately I, you know, that it's amazing. You know, a lot of people are in it for uh, vapid reasons. Unfortunately, that, that's how it goes. You know? Yeah, that's but, the arts in general. Yeah, no, exactly. But I feel like my quote, you know, condensed would be like, vapidity is not cute <laughs> in publishing. <laughs> so, yeah. Great. That answers the question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll put a better question in before it. I'll I'll record something after. No, Sounds good. no, we're keeping it as quotes. Got them? Quotes <laughs> got to, them? No, I love it. That has to be it. It's like the got milk slogan. So what is your favorite piece of art right now? Uh, let's see. Could also be a book. Yeah, could be a book. Oh, well, books. I mean. <laughs> yeah, you're like, well. <laughs> I got them. Let's see. Uh, there's definitely... Oh God, what a question. Because like, I have one in each field, but uh, I suppose... All right, I'll just go into my favorite song. So my favorite song, <laughs> it, it's it's by an independent artist. His name is Melty Cannon. And if you ever do have the chance to look him up, please do so. But it's, so, it's a lo-fi-esque kind of, you know, synth beat. It's called Thankful. To me, at least, my interpretation of the song, whenever I listen to it, it's sort of like, you know, you think it to be like sort of like a love song, you know, of how somber it is. But really, it's tuning into one's own ambition to create something. And it could be anything, no matter what anyone tells you that you can't do, or no matter what kind of resources that are brought into your life in order to produce this or any other external factor it is a matter of knowing that you can do it and that you should do it because you don't know the outcome unless you do do it. So I would suggest giving it a listen. It's definitely in my top five. It's probably, it's probably number one, I should say, but I always listen to that whenever I'm feeling either unmotivated or I would say undisciplined to do a project because there are some times when it's like, man, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, you just, there are some days you just don't want to do it. Exactly. Can, can you give that to us one more time, the, the name of the artist? Sure. So the song is called Thankful, and it's by the artist Melty Cannon. So M-E-L-T-Y-C-A-N-O-N. Already added to my playlist. I'm very there you excited go. to listen to it later. <laughs> there you go. 
It's a good song to I'm like also, fall asleep. I'm really, to I'm now. really enjoying all of the names of these songs too. Ladybugs, shake it with three exclamation points, flame <laughs> hot Cheetos, lots of good names. <laughs> you gotta share your playlist with me. I've never heard any of these. <laughs> what are no, they're all by him. <laughs> yeah, the oh, old compilation oh, three. Right. The, yes, oh, I'm yeah, in old yeah. compilation my, three. My personal oh, favorite: three. the okay. small fish and the cute worm. Small fish and the cute worm. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I thought it was like all these songs compiled together. I'm like, I don't remember hearing any of these names. Oh, and, no. then, and then when you got Flamin' Hot Cheetos, I'm like, okay, wait, no, I've, I've, I've heard it. You're like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> to a person that might be interested in pursuing the arts while still working a nine-to-five or going to college slash high school, what advice would you give them? Start. That, that's it. Just one word, and I'll tell you why. Because... I believe I briefly touched upon this. There are so many artistic individuals with an idea that have the work, have the talent, don't have the platform. No, or maybe have the platform, but really don't have the means to take it farther than that. When it comes to any artistic medium, the only thing I feel keeping one truly back is is themselves. A lot of it does stem from self-consciousness. It does stem from maybe that lack of confidence that there are so many other people out there that are doing the same thing as me, you know, maybe a little bit of oversaturation in that department, or that nobody is going to listen to me anyway. Personal note, when I started, admittedly, the, the idea of passive income through books was what enticed me. It was a very hollow mindset to be in, you know, admittedly. And I was working with someone who had already been retired, you know, who, who wasn't in it for the money. And I'm not saying that I was really in it for the money, but it was like, it was something that I could, you know, kind of pop the collar a little bit and say, yeah, I make books. I now know that being here where I am now, you know, I really wish that I could go back and really just talk to that kid all those years ago and just be like, you know, you're doing this because you love doing it deep down and no amount of money or fame or notoriety could could ever change that. But regardless of how you may have felt five years ago versus how you feel now, I'm talking really metaphysically. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it, it's great. That's fine. Go the, off. The, the, the bottom line is that I'm proud in myself now, and I'm proud in myself five years ago that I sat down and I started and that I was unapologetic when I came to that conclusion of I did this because I wanted to. I did this because I, I feel like I have something within myself that other people can relate to. And it wasn't until four or five years later when I finally started getting the calls, getting the emails, getting the knocks at my door saying, hey, I want to publish a project and I want you to be the one to do it. So start and see where it goes hey everyone thanks for listening you can find out more about sebastian on his twitter dr underscore sebi and instagram at dr sebi both dr his website and more details about the interview can be found on our website www.artisticpodcast.com if you liked the conversation let us know by giving us a review on apple podcasts it really helps other people like you find the show and gives us a chance to know who's listening to us. For updates on new episodes and content, you can follow us at The Artistic Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week. See you guys. Got quotes? <laughs>